Hey everybody and welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford. I'm the author of a few different cycling books. I write all about mostly bikes, running, uh, but then fitness in general and outdoor activities over on the Outdoor Edit and all over the, the interwebs. And I'm Peter Glassford. I'm Molly's non-sick co-host. I'm not sick. I just don't have much of a voice. I am a kinesiologist. Uh, we're usually based in Collingwood, Ontario, but today we are in San Diego, or San Diego. I, I don't think it's pronounced like that anywhere. Uh, well, those, those listeners who have checked out some of Will Ferrell's stylings. Oh, dear. Anchorman. Apologies to everyone who's Fairly inappropriate, but there you go. Anyway, uh, what have we been up to this week? We're coming from Reno, Nevada, where back, we were... Back being a truck driver. Yeah. Carrying bags. Collectively got to drive the Rafa Focus van back to Carlsbad, where Focus is HQ'd at the moment, and... Yeah, we got to drive from Reno and then do a nice big run to go from the van to the train to get to San Diego. So it's been a pretty adventurous couple of days. But Cyclocross Nationals was sweet. A lot of really good racing in Reno. Um, Yeah, super, super exciting to watch and be a part of. So that was cool. Yeah, the coverage was quite good. So we'll, we'll link to the YouTube coverage that USA Cycling did. So kudos to them. They did a fantastic job. Um, the online coverage for cycling is always sort of a often complained about, you know, often screwed up, but often and usually very expensive to actually do well. So kudos to them for, for doing that well. Yeah. But today's guest actually doesn't have anything to do with cycling. So let's talk about running on the track. I have done one track workout in my life and it was one of the hardest workouts I think I've ever done. Yeah, it's interesting. It was well-timed. We have Ian Warner on today uh, who went to the Olympics for Canada, actually. He lives in the States, so he sort of spans the two countries. Um, but he, uh, or has since moved to the States. I think he did live in Canada, actually. He wasn't one of those, like, expats that somehow go to no. the Olympics or no, something. He's Maybe he was. Canada. I don't know. He was from Canada, though, legitimately. But, uh, yeah, I have a lot of clients who are actually just really interested in Canada, you know, playing around with some track running that they've done in the past. You know, maybe they're runners already. And, uh, but a few cyclists, too, have sort of found the indoor track. Uh, you know, in snowy Canada, it's actually pretty cool. You know, to be able to run really quick and get some speed work in and stuff. So it's quite interesting. So hopefully this is interesting to those folks. But I think there's some good training tactics, life tactics, um, you know, high performance tactics. And then he also has a really cool app, which I think is going to be for any consummate athlete. This app is uh, something that he's trying to basically provide a, a sort of network where you could ask questions. You know, I got an elbow as an example, I, I actually do have you know, an elbow as a right now. That's, example. So my elbow hurts, you know, I can't do this. And then, you know, he's got sort of a team of people that sort of are on the app and sort of can provide, you know, oh, you should go get that checked out or this is what it might be. Um, you know, it's not a big deal, whatever. Uh, but then also, if you do have to go get it checked out, um, sort of networking professionals in, uh, I'm trying to remember how this worked, in the U.S., U.S. and Canada. And, and Canada, uh, that you could go see even. So, you know, someone who's been vetted, you know, by other athletes. You know, there's not going to be some sort of sensual massage or something. You're going to get, like, a an athlete's massage. And I think it's more like if you're into baseball, you can kind of look and see what other baseball players are going to. Well, when we touch on that, you know, some practitioners, he said even his wife uh, is very good. You know, she's worked with track sprinters, so most of the injuries she sees are lower, like, you know, lower body. But if she had a swimmer or something, you know, she's not as well-versed. So 
to Molly's point for sure, the, you know, sort of it's helping you vet out, you know, are you going to a, a physical therapist who's really well versed in sort of lower leg ankle injuries or, you, you know, someone who's very used to sort of, you know, rock climbing injuries or something. Yeah. So that's a super cool app. It's called CoLabs. We'll have all that in the show notes and we get into it more in the episode. Um, and before we dive in, just a reminder, if you go to consummateathlete.com, we have our seven day kickstart to healthy living. So sort of all of our tips and tricks and our best practices for kicking off the new year or any kind of you know new resolution or resolve to be healthier with yeah we've had a bunch of people sign up and go even through the whole thing now and yeah so it's a seven day set of emails you get from us that's just kind of all the different habits sleep stuff that stuff that we've picked up stuff even from the podcast you know all the great people we've had on now over the last two years um, so I think it's, you know, it's a good way to just even be introduced to the podcast content. If you, you know, if you're super dialed and you don't need lifestyle help. Does anyone not need that? I don't know. I'm struggling. I'm still going through it and I wrote it. So yeah, well, people helping people. It's yeah, a beautiful exactly. Thing. Anyway, speaking of people helping people, let's dive into the podcast and chat with Ian Warner. Enjoy guys. Consummate Athlete Podcast here with Ian Warner. So first of all, welcome to the podcast, Ian. Oh, thanks so much for having me, you guys. I'm, I'm super excited. Yeah, us too. So you've done quite a bit and are doing a ton right now too. So why don't you give everybody kind of a quick bio of where you started, how you made your way to the Olympics, and where you're at now? Well, yeah, maybe just athletic bio. Let's keep it. So okay, let's, let's, let's start give, with that. Give, give the man a focus there. He's coming along. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I actually uh, i am originally from uh, Toronto, Ontario. So I grew up running track and ended up getting a scholarship to Iowa State, and uh, while I was at Iowa State, had a, had a really good junior year, and I ended up making making the uh, Canadian Olympic team uh, in 2012, so the uh, London Games, and um, I I married uh, my wife. She's American, so now I, I live in the USA now, um, so that's how I kind of got over here. But uh, yeah, that's my my athletic bio anyway. Okay, that's awesome. Who did what club and uh, sort of what coaches did you put, uh, uh, compete under? I guess in Toronto or train with. So in uh, Toronto, I actually competed with uh, Phoenix Athletics. Um, so I, I went to Birchmount, a school named Birchmount Park, and that was kind of the club that was affiliated with that school. So that that was where I I trained out of. Okay, yeah. There's a lot of you know the I know the Guelph running. We've had a one of the runners from the Guelph club, which is more, I guess, like track yes. too. But they I don't know if they do quite the short shorter distance, the sprints as much. But um, I know we've had a lot of success out of that sort of we'll call it the GTA region. Yeah, no, yeah, the that Guelph Track Club is a uh, is is more distance, but yeah, they're they've had a, a ton of success, and um and, and still are, are very successful today. So, um, I'm I'm very familiar with that group that you're speaking of. Yeah, I like that. So, what made you choose track, and what what got you into it? Well, I actually started out playing football when I was seven, and my brother and I simply started running track because we wanted to be faster for football. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy today because, you know, we know a lot more about concussions and, and stuff like that and the mm-hmm. kind of dangers of football now, which I didn't know when I played. And I definitely had a ton of concussions. But so I'm <laughs> happy I went the track and field route. I uh, But when I got to the end of high school, you know, my uh, sophomore year of high school, I ended up making the Canadian uh, youth team. So it, that was over in the Czech Republic. So I went over to those games and I came seventh. So I was, I was the seventh fastest youth in the world. 
And um, so I, I knew I had a, a much more of a future in track and it was easier to get a scholarship because track is very numbers based. It's, mm-hmm. it's hard to argue. It's like you either ran the time or you didn't. Whereas football, it can be more subjective and the USA is, you know, very dominant in football, obviously. So it's a, it's a little bit tougher to kind of pull that off. So I just knew I had a little bit brighter of a future in track. And I was honestly tired of getting hit in football. The hits were, as I was getting older, the hits were obviously getting harder. And it was taking more of a toll on my body. So I, I was ready to uh, just stick with track and field and, and see what I could do focusing just on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting how those injuries, because I mean, even running, you know, it's a, you always hear the statistics about the injuries in running. They're obviously not to your head typically, but the, you know, how many runners get injured in a year and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, you know, you're, I guess you're inducing it yourself and a little more controlled. But some of the sprinting injuries with like the hamstring and stuff like that can be quite quite violent and quite hard to overcome did you have to deal with any of those sort of like typical sprinting injuries oh yeah like i oh man the list of injuries so (laughs) i i I actually while before i even got to college when i was in high school i actually had an avulsion fracture on my hip so i was running 100 i was leaning to cross the line and an avulsion fracture is when the muscle pulls a piece of the bone off yeah so yeah, right at my hip pointer, pulled the muscle pulled a little bit of the the bone off, and I, I was basically locked with my hip flexed, and I could I was just lying on the ground, I couldn't move, like I was just bawling, and I couldn't move it for days, like I I was in that position with my knee up like that for days before it would relax and let me to uh, allow me to put it down. Um, I had uh, L five fracture, which is so weird. I had I had actual fractures running track, and I had a. Um, L5 fracture because of tight, a tight, tight hips and a tight psoas. Basically, uh, your psoas attaches in the L4, L5 region of your back. So when it's tight, it yanks on your spine, basically pulling it forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with each step I was taking, basically my L4 and L5 were just clashing together like throughout a season. So by the time I get to the end of a season, it would have just taken, you know, tons of hits and then eventually it would, it would break. So I had to deal with that. And this is going into college. And then when I got into college, oh, wait, no, I, I also had a, a groin tear. So, um, oh. yeah, that that was fun, too, because uh, the the recovery process for that, how I ended up getting over it, I ended up having to get uh, acupuncture and I, had, and I had a needle that went in and I because it was on the front side of my body. I could see them putting it in, and it it went in so deep into my leg, it was insane. Oh. Um, but it, it it sucked, but it was it was good. It made it feel a lot better. And uh, but yeah, I overcame that from running on bank tracks, which I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with bank tracks. But mm-hmm. some some 200 meter indoor tracks, they're the corners. It's easier to run on them if they uh, raise up the corner. Oh, okay. So um, it's elevated off the ground. So. It's you can run faster, but you can get injured a little bit easier on it. So I was uh, uh, I, I had have had that happen to me, pulled that groin, and then going into college now, I had two hamstring tears. I fractured the L5 again, but this one was worse, and I I, I was in a wheelchair for about a week, <laughs> and then um, I also had a really bad case of um, like like a toe bunion almost. Uh, my my just from getting my my toes into spikes for so long, it started to move one of my toes, my big toe in, and started to cause a lot of issues with my big toe, which that I I'm probably gonna deal with for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like I, I definitely you know racked up my my fair share of of injuries. Okay, you were kind of a mess. Jeez. So just yeah. stepping back, the bank track it, it helped get over the groin injury or it caused the groin injury? 
So the bank trap, sorry about that. The bank trap was what caused the groin injury. Oh, okay, that makes but, more sense. Because I was yes, like, from, oh, from, from running on if it. You're, if you're coming into the corner harder, it seems like that would, okay, so that makes sense. Um, Wait, that, I have a question about the bank track. Do you ever do, uh, would you ever practice in reverse to try to like work the muscles on the other side? Because I feel like that would really make your body very asymmetrical, right? Yeah, so this is kind of the argument that people have. It's like, in theory, it would be great if your if your body was like symmetrical, but the truth is that it pretty much never will be. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> just just from the nature of some sports, like so, for example, if you throw, you're always going to be off on one side. I was, um, was like, going to say, yeah, yeah like, yeah, like they don't make pictures. I mean, there's there's apparently now this is like this coming of age so that we're going to start seeing the ambidextrous, like the two uh, armed pitcher. Peter's obsessed with this. It's going to be huge. So I mean, but it, the thing is, like all these track events are always run in the one direction, right? Yeah. Yeah. And 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 so they they will try some coaches will try and combat this and be like hey you know guys let's go out and let's let's like start jogging in the other direction the problem is it is really difficult to sprint the opposite way when you've been running one way for so long mm-hmm. you almost put yourself at more risk of injury by doing it the other way because yeah. your body doesn't it hasn't had to align itself in that way where you're leaning, you know, then with your right shoulder and it, it would, it would be, it'd be really bizarre. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I guess I get that. Yeah. And I mean, for the 100, it doesn't really matter as much, I guess, does it? No, not for the 100. No. But, the but you would be doing 200 like repeats and stuff, even for the 100, like in training. Yeah. So if, even if you are a 100, 100 meter runner, chances are at some point you're definitely going to be getting on the bank but then even like indoor, indoor tracks are usually 200 meters um, and there's no 100 meters straight away. So if you want to do 100, you have to get on the corner. So, um, yeah, you're going you're to have to get on the corner at some point. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I have, uh, I mean, while we're sort of in the nitty gritty of, of sprinting and stuff, I wonder, you know, I have a, a few clients now who have found, you know, indoor tracks or they're doing some sort of sprint training. I'm wondering, you know, what would be, you know, uh, I guess an introductory sort of, you know, if someone went to a, a 200 meter track or something here to sort of in the Canadian winter or, or whatever they're they're into, you know, what would be a, a pretty typical sort of starter set or, you know, first first set of the season type thing? Yeah, a, a good thing to get started with is a, a tempo workout that goes like um, one plus one plus two plus one, one plus two plus two plus one. One plus two plus one. And what that is is so the pluses are all walking what you just ran. So it would be 100 meters, walk 100 meters, run a 200, walk 200, run 100, and then you rest for five minutes. And then you come back and you do one, two, two, one. And then you go one, two, one to end it off for the last set. And in terms of percentages, uh, if you do that anywhere between you know, 70%, 85% in that, in that area. Um, so you're not, so you're not going full up any means, but you will be pretty tired by the time you get to the, to the, to the end of it. I bet. Um, yeah. It sounds like it's pretty easy, but, uh, yeah, whenever you do that workout and all of the, especially the one, two, two, one doing the two hundreds back to back. Um, but that's a good way to get your body running, uh, get close to sprinting and get in that upright position where you're, you know, you're really kind of pushing it, but at the same time, not just going, you know, balls out, in the, you know, first first session, um, because you're you're kind of asking asking to get to get hurt if you just do that. Right, right. And you mentioned percent of max. So is that of like a is that of a hundred or like what would be the the pace? What are you basing that percent off of? 
Yeah, so usually what it will be based off of is whatever your best is in that uh, event or that distance you're going. So if you're running the one, then yeah, it would be based off of what your best 100 is. And if you're running the two, it would be based off of what your best 200 is. So that's something you have to, you you, you figure out for yourself after a while what your uh, what your 85 actually feels like. Like I have a good idea for myself when I go and run like, okay, this is 70, this is, you know, 60%, this is, you know, 95% or, or whatever the case is. Um, so yeah, it's just, but it's 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 definitely more of a, of a feeling thing that, uh, you kind of it kind of takes a little bit of time to figure out where your percentages are, right? And someone could probably go into it first time and you know sort of with the objective they sort of leave something on the table or you know they have another gear on top of that and then sort of record that time and then next time they're back in the the track they could maybe try and bump up that pace even a little bit and then you know eventually they do some max testing once they've got some some workouts in. Yeah, and and. Uh... Uh, a good rule of thumb is if, you know, I think everybody knows, everyone has a pretty good idea what it feels like to go all out on something. So it's just kind of scaling it down from there. Like you, you know what a hundred percent is and most people have a pretty good idea what like 50, 60% is. So it's like just trying to get somewhere in the middle of those, of those two. Um, another good way to do it is just have someone time you. So you, you kind of figure out, what you think you could run 100 in or 200 in if you ran the whole thing full out. And then from there you say, okay, if I think I could do this, I will uh, time myself run, running this first 100. I'll see what the time is and then you know, kind of do the math from there and then figure out maybe I need to go a little slower. Maybe I should be going a little bit faster. Right, right. Okay, and then uh, as far as warm-up, you know, I, I know it's a, it's a big topic, but uh, leading into sort of the concept of injuries and stuff here, like what would – you know, if there was a basic sort of warm up, you know, is there something that you you have found is quite effective or quite universal in terms of track warming up for the track? Yeah, I think warm ups always have to be very individual, and this actually leads does lead really nicely into injuries because I think your warm up needs to consist of doing some things that are per, help prevent injuries that you're susceptible to. So for myself, because I knew I had a lot of hamstring and back issues. A big part of my warm-up was getting my glutes firing, getting my glutes, my glutes ready to go. Uh, if my glutes were not ready to go, it was not going to be a good session for my hamstrings or, mm-hmm. or my – so that was important for me. But if, if you don't – you know, Peter, you might be running and you might not have any uh, back hamstring issues. You might be you know, a shin splints guy. And if you're a shin splints guy, then you might have to do – you know certain stretches there might be certain things that you do that help to get your your shins and your your lower legs uh ready for uh that the workout that's that's about to take place and you know Malik for you could be you know maybe you sit down all day so your chest really gets you know tight and your shoulders are tight so you really have to open up your shoulders and and that type of stuff so I think taking those things into consideration is really important um but then other than that, um, you know, just a, a basic, you know, get it, get jogging, get the, the blood flowing a little bit. And then uh, going into some sprint drills, I think sprint drills are always good just to uh, get you in the, the correct positions where, you know, you're raising your knee up and, you're, you know, you're getting your hands in the correct position. You're feeling how you want to feel uh, when you actually start your workout. But then I think one of the best ways really to get ready to sprint is to start getting strides in like and and just keep increasing the percentage. So if you do one stride, 
start out, you know, at 50% and then the next one, you know, 55 and just keep ramping up until eventually you're, you know, you're sweating, you're at your, you're, you can feel your body temperatures up there and you can start, you know, hitting a couple strides at a hundred percent to make sure you're ready to go. Right. And so a stride is essentially just running like a fast, like in a 200 meter track, it might be like a fast 50 where you sort of accelerate up to, to speed, right? You know what's funny? I, I actually, uh, I was, uh, my, the, the high school team I, I help with uh, here in Ann Arbor, they had a meet on the weekend. And uh, the girls on the team got into this argument about what a, what a stride actually is. And I never actually thought about it until they were like arguing about this, about what a stride is. And in my head, all my life, a stride is ex- exactly what you just said. It is a run that is below your your max ability and you're strictly using it for the purpose of warming up and getting your body ready to go. It's not a part of your actual workout. It's just a stride to warm up, uh, feel out the day, feel how you're feeling, what's hurting, what's feeling good, what's not feeling good, and uh, really just you feel everything out before you get ready to, to get into the runs that actually matter that the coach is going to time or really evaluate. Yeah, that's a that's a good definition, I think. Yeah, and I mean, sometimes I, I'm I very much agree with your individual warm up. You know, I mine's much more like ankle foot. I tend to be like caster, so I definitely try and do you know a bunch of different stuff to get ready, as you say, sort of individual that you might just find is completely excessive. Mm-hmm. But but at a certain point, you do need to warm up, you know, for that that specific sport or whatever too, right? So the you know jog jog and then accelerate slightly. And then, you know, like you say, if all systems are go, which I think a lot of us miss, and this is probably the best segue into injuries and stuff and what you're doing now, um, you know, sort of that like check engine, you know, check, check the systems, all systems go before we launch, you know, and and being willing to say, yeah, you know, today's just going to be, you know, easy jog and then cool it down. Right. Yeah. And I I think the, the problem is with injuries and, and warming up and on, on how all these things kind of play into getting hurt. You, you can usually tell when an injury is coming on. I feel like it's like a light bulb going out. It flickers, and you know you get real like you get some signs. It starts dimming a little bit, and you know the light bulb is about to go out. But you can just you can either just change it, or you can just wait until it actually does go out, right? And I think that's what happens with injuries. You know, you you, you you're warming up and you feel something's off, and you know it. But that athlete mindset is tough it out, grind it out. You know, mm-hmm. you're. You're a like soldier through everything, and you tell yourself those those type of things, and you do that for too long, and a minor injury that could have been, you know, simply just going and getting a massage and you would be fine, turns into two months off because you tried to ignore your body and the light bulb finally went out. Yeah, and you wrote a great article, which we'll link to uh, for the in the Huffington Post about five reasons athletes should pay more attention to uh, injuries. Um, and it's really talking about these small, like niggling injuries, right? Not just like this hamstring explosion, but the injuries, you know, ahead of that. And, you know, injury being sort of a, a term that you've maybe expanded to these niggles and small injuries, small pains along the way. So can you speak a bit more to sort of your your philosophy with that and sort of, you know, how that looks as far as a day-to-day sort of training uh, protocol? Yeah, I, I think injury, the best way to come back from an injury is to not get hurt at all you know a lot of times when people have injury questions and or they're hurt and they're trying to figure out how to come back from it that is always the solution you know don't get hurt you need to always be mindful of the fact that as an athlete injuries 
happen that they, they they are a part of you know being an athlete so especially sport by sport you know every sport is susceptible to certain injuries so pay attention to those things and pay attention to if something is starting to bother you pay attention to that that light bulb starting to flicker and if you do that then you're going to be proactive in the situation instead of just always being reactive so the reactive part is oh no i'm hurt i'm i'm going to miss you know a certain amount of time i'm i'm stressed like what do i do now like what's the quick fix to get back and you know you're you're scrambling to try and see a therapist see a, a, a pt or a chiro or whatever the case is but when you're proactive with it you are saying okay look these are the things that i have hurt in the past i've hurt my hamstring i've hurt my back I've had shin splints, you know, my shoulder hurts from throwing or whatever the case is. And you're building in prehab and preventative routines into your life to prevent these injuries from coming into play. So for me, what this looked like with my my L5 fractures, it all stemmed to the glutes. When your glutes are firing and doing what they're supposed to do, they're big, powerful muscles. But a lot of times with people from sitting down, you sit down, it automatically shuts your glutes off when you're in a sitting position. So we stand up and we want to run full speed and the glutes have been turned off all day from sitting in class or at work or whatever the case is. So you get those glutes firing and you know it takes the pressure off of the hamstring and the back and the back muscles. So I know that, so I'm like, okay, I have to make a conscious effort throughout the day to make sure I'm standing up and, uh, doing a couple glute exercises just to make just to wake them up and just to make sure i'm not getting too tight in the hips then when i get to the the, to the track and i'm warming up i'm going to build these glute exercises into my warm-up then after i'm done training when i'm in i'm going to go into the weight room and i'm going to do some extra extra exercises for my glutes and doing all of these things and making preventing this injury a part of my lifestyle it is something that you keep away um but if you're reactive to it, it's going to come and then you're going to try and catch up and you're always trying to catch up with it. And you see this a lot with shin splints um, with, with runners. They will do exercises to make their shin splints go away and then their shin splints go away and then what do they do? They stop doing the exercises and they come back and they're like, oh man, my, my shins are hurting again. It's like, well, are you doing the exercises that you, you were doing before? Oh no, I stopped because I was feeling good. It's like you have to make it an everyday lifestyle preventing injury is not something you only do after an emergency it's some it's something that you have to do uh every single day of your life yeah no i really like that and i'm wondering you know just you know a lot of people are seated athletes a lot of people have the you know glute posterior chain sort of limitation so i wonder can you share your you know you, you talked about some glute exercise maybe you do in the office or during the day um and then second to that sort of the glute exercises maybe you do as part of a warm one or two examples just you know because i think that is a common theme like people very quad dominant athletes and our cyclists you mm-hmm. know and, and again your people sit on their butts that's that's all of us so yes. what what do you do in the office what do you do during the day yeah so one thing you can do whether you're a student or you know you're in the office but when you're you're sitting all day get up at least once an hour you know you can take five minutes and one important thing you want to do is you want to first get in a position where whether it, it depends if you have a if you can bring an exercise ball to work or uh, you probably won't be able to bring one to a classroom. But if you can bring one to work, some people I know can do this. You want to spend at least a minute or two lying on the exercise ball and like making an arch over it. So you're lying with your back on the ball and you're arching over it almost like a high jumper would go over the pole. And what that's doing is just opening up the whole front side of your body. 
it's stretching out your quads a little bit, stretching out your hips, your your abs and your chest, and just put your arms over your head. And that whole front side that's been closed from just being collapsed down all day, that's just going to open back up. If you can't, if you don't have a ball to just lie on like that, you can do it by doing like what's called like a wrestler's bridge. If you don't know what that is, you can Google it. It's in, it's putting yourself in that same position, but only if you don't have a ball, you have to actually use your own strength to put yourself in in that position. And then the other thing you can do is things like uh, donkey kicks and clams. But the key when you're doing like donkey kicks is a lot of people will do these donkey kicks and their back will arch. Every time that they put their leg into the air, their back will have a huge arch in it. And it's really important that you keep your core stable and that back locked in so that when your leg is moving, your back is in a still position and it, your leg moves independently of your back because it's it's the same thing when you're running you don't want to be running like like i was saying with my l4 l5 and how my l4 l5 are crashing into each other is because i was arching my back slightly with every step that i was with the stride i was taking or every um every step forward I was, I was taking when i was running so by making that back stable you're making sure that you know that's in the correct position, that the back's in the correct position, and then you're truly activating the glutes and, and getting those firing and making sure that they're 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 awake. And then when it comes to uh, actually getting ready to you know really rev it up for uh, your workout, you can still do those donkey kicks. All those things still apply. They all will still help. Um, but to kind of turn it up to another level, what you can actually do is lie on your back. And then you can take your hands off the ground. You can just put them in the air. And then you're going to dig your heels into the ground. And you're going to basically just move your heels up and down really quickly like you're running on your heels, basically. And it's just a really quick motion. So all that's keeping you up is basically your hamstrings and your glutes firing and your lower back. But, but it's mostly going to be your glutes doing the work if, if they're firing properly. And that's a way to really get them revved up and, and ready for the workout and then something you can do after the workout one of the best things you can do is barbell glute bridge so what you want to do is you want to get a squat pad that you would put um so that you know if, if you squat and, you, and it hurts your your trap area some people put a pad on you're going to put that same pad on the bar you're going to put some weight on, on on both sides and you're going to put it put the bar over your hips and then what you're going to do is you're going to drive your heels into the ground and you're going to just do a glute bridge and, and raise your uh, your butt off the ground. Uh, that is by far one of the best ways to isolate the glutes, get them firing, and then also strengthen, the, strengthen them and get them stronger um, so that they can en endure whatever training sessions or, or season that you have to endure. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a little awkward to get into, but it's definitely as far as, you know, activating or, or feeling those those glutes or the, the back of your body working, it, it is the money exercise for sure. Yes. Awesome. Um, so now what does uh, your routine look like? You know, it, it's always interesting. And, and part of the reason we started this podcast was sort of, you know, people have, you know, maybe pursued excellence in a, a certain sport. And then, you know, they're, they're past that that point, you've gone to the Olympics. Now, what what do you do after that? You know, it, it's for some people, that's a crusher and they never exercise again in their whole life. What does your exercise routine look like now that you're, you're past Olympics? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's interesting because the hard part for me was never like, I'm still active. I still work out and like, obviously not at the same intensities and the same, uh, with the same drive. But, uh, the harder part was actually eating less. 
which is very common yeah it's like because especially as a sprinter so my whole thing is like i i have a pretty fast metabolism but why that was kind of an issue is i needed to gain muscle mass um i if i don't eat if i wasn't eating a lot while i was training i would i would lose weight pretty quickly and um that wasn't good because i you know i need the i need to retain that muscle so I would be eating like, you know, 4,000, 5,000 calories uh, a day. And to maintain that, it's like that's like eating all the time. Like it's just like it just feels like a disgusting amount when you start. Mm-hmm. So when you do that for years and years and years and then all of a sudden you're done and you have to just be normal again and just like eat like three meals a day and like manage your, propor- your proportions and all that type of stuff. Um, that was definitely the struggle for me. Um, but in terms of just r- routine, so I, I actually get up at, at three in the morning. And the reason I started doing that is because once I got married um, and now I, now I have a daughter, I just started to realize that when when you wake up, so if, I, if you wake up, like most people wake up around like six o'clock, seven o'clock, the problem with doing that is like I would get up and, you know, I would just, my phone would just be blowing up. Be, I'd have all these messages and you know, there's social media, there's all this stuff going on, there's so much stimulus, and everybody has to deal with this, this, the stimulus I'm talking about, you know, mm-hmm. and we all try and find ways to kind of keep it at bay, so I was like, you know what, I'm just going to start getting up at five o'clock, and I started getting up at five, and I was like, it's like the best hour of my life, and I was like, man, if I get up at five, that's like, that's pretty cool, but imagine I started getting up at four, and I did, and it, it just got better, and then when I got up, and started getting up at three, it was, it, it was ridiculous. Like I was really tired at first, but um, like, you know, I started doing this in 2015 and I can do more from three o'clock to 6am than most people can do in like all day. Like from when they go to work at like eight o'clock until they're done. um, I can get so much done in that time. So my day is really front loaded. I get a lot of my important things done super early, do my meditation in the morning. Um, I'll usually, you know, read the Bible. I'll, uh, like I have a I have a whole bunch of things I go through right right when I get up to get those things um, just for my own like sanity and you know mental health and you know spiritual health and all that type of stuff. Um, I'll get those things out of the way, um, and then I'll usually dive straight into the, the most important task I have for the day, whatever that is. It it, it can it can vary, um, but I'll, I'll usually try and get that done so I know that once my wife and daughter get up. You know, my day could just be crazy after that, but I know at least I got the most important thing done. I got my meditation in. Um, I got hydrated. I got some of those those key things in uh, to that I think sets you up to have a successful day. Um, and eating wise, I usually won't eat until they get up. So if they get up at usually around like eight o'clock, I'll eat at eight. Um, which that was a big change because I would always eat breakfast like the second I got up, and I stopped doing that. Um, and then I'll have lunch, you know, at 12 and I usually try and have like a salad and I try and keep lunch light. And then I'll usually have like a, a, a big dinner later on. Um, but other than that, that's that's really the, the only, you know, special or different thing about my day is I, I really just try and front load it as heavily as I can. And then in the evenings, I because I'm usually done everything I need to do um, after I'm done coaching or helping out with uh, the, the, the high school I will usually just read for the the rest of the evening and until I'm tired and then I go to bed and start it all up the next day. So it's bedtime pretty early then if you're getting up at three thirty. So yeah, I definitely don't sleep for eight hours anymore. That's that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so usually, I'll, like bedtime is is a lot earlier than like most people. Like I usually will be between nine o'clock and ten o'clock. I'll be I'll I'll usually be uh, out. But um, yeah, like I like when I was when I was training, like I was religious about getting nine ten hours of sleep. But um, I actually enjoy not sleeping as much. Like it it was such a challenge to to do that as well. Like just feeling like you know I have to be sleeping i have to get this recovery i have to like after so many years of doing that it's re- it's really nice to kind of break out of that um that regime of having to sleep that much and i feel like i have a lot more day left a lot more time to live sure sure i'm wondering you know i don't want to drill too far into it but the uh you know a lot of us struggle you know whether we've been olympic athletes or not with you know sort of controlling how much we eat and so you're coming down from four thousand to you know now maybe you need two thousand or whatever uh did did you find anything you know you mentioned sort of waiting a bit on breakfast and maybe like curtailing breakfast a bit like was there anything you found that did sort of help you sort of get that appetite and get that sort of set point of, of how much you're eating and the quality maybe um, you know, anything particular as far as like controlling appetite, controlling the amount of food? Yeah, it's interesting. So I'm a, I'm a big believer in like experiments and trying new things. And that's how I kind of started getting up at three. And I went through this whole period where I, I would only take cold showers, which was actually one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. Um, but specifically with the eating. So I've tried doing, I've tried vegan, vegetarian, paleo. Like I tried this, just the range of, uh, different ways of eating and i think first of all i just want to say to everyone listening like it's so important when it comes to eating that you focus and pay attention to like what just works for you i think most people know what works for them but they see other people doing stuff and like people are so like like diet is almost like religion for some people it's very like when people are paleo they are like paleo to the death and they want to kill you if you're not paleo sometimes like that's how it can feel so then you feel like you want to do what they're doing or, or whatever the case is. So for me, what I realized works really well is just having a balance of a good amount of carbs, uh, having as much veggies as I can possibly, you know, stomach to eat down. Because <laughs> I, I, I don't like veggies. I know. <laughs> saying that, yeah, I, I hate. My parents used to always have to force me to eat them. And I, I understand their benefit, but I don't enjoy eating them. But having as much veggies as you can get on the plate and then having, you know, a little small slab of meat, um, I think where the real difference comes in is, like, not going back for second and thirds because uh, that was, like, the normal for me. I would eat and I'd be like, nope, got to go back and get more. So I'd go get another plate and sometimes three plates. So now I, I really try super hard to limit it to, okay, what you put on the plate, that's you get this one plate and you're done. And the other thing, Peter, which is really huge is – you do not have to eat until your your stomach is bursting. Like that is not how we are designed to eat. Like it's really hard on your body to digest food when you eat that much. It is okay to eat and just be content. Like you're not full, but you're you're not hungry anymore. You're just like, okay, I'm I'm all right. I I'm eating for a purpose. I'm eating because it's giving me energy to sustain my lifestyle. That's why we eat food. And sometimes we forget that. We get so into eating for pleasure that we forget that food is just simply providing energy for us to do what we need to do every day. So if you're a high-level athlete, you need more because you do more. You're putting out more um, force. You're putting out more energy. You're you're doing more. You're thinking more. You're using your brain more. You're engaged in in, in the things you're doing a lot more. So you need the energy to sustain that. Uh, But, you know, I don't – 
I don't need that type of energy to sustain my lifestyle anymore. So once I remember that, it's like I'm not eating for pleasure. I'm eating for purpose. And, you know, sometimes there are times where, you know, you go out to eat and you eat for pleasure and that's fine. But 80 percent of the time, at least you should be eating just for the purpose of getting energy to sustain your life. And I think when you approach it with that mindset, it makes eating healthier amounts a little easier. I think that's really good advice. I mean, load that plate up with veggies, a little bit of protein, you know, and always leave. You know, you you could eat more, but yeah, you, you know, you could you just leave it. You know, yeah, leave that ref on the table, right? So like the weight room, like live to fight another day, and yes, for sure, live to fight another day. I think I think that is so important. Yeah. Every time I go for dessert, Peter points out that uh, it's not a party if it happens every day. Yes, one of my favorite quotes. Yes, <laughs> I, I I need to start using that. I like that. Yeah, well, you can use it. I think I stole it. It's like from... Uh, you definitely stole Yeah, it. it's like a Postal Service song or a Death Cab for Cutie song, I think, that, it's, <laughs> that I heard it anyhow. Okay. But it's good. It's like if you have dessert every single day, it's not... You know, if yeah. you're partying every single day, it gets old. You know, eventually you're old. just... Yeah. Dessert's not going to get old. I don't know what's wrong with you. I don't know. <laughs> okay, so now... Okay, here's my question. Okay. You went yeah. to You went to school for business... Did you ever debate going for PT? Because I love where you're at right now. You're kind of like bringing PT into it, but you you went business. This is you know what no one has no one has caught this or put this together. That is an excellent question, and I I I'm not even kidding you. My wife, so my wife is a as a massage therapist and athletic trainer, by the way. So oh, okay. So she's in that world, and so yesterday she'd actually asked me to. Uh, give her like a neck massage, like her neck was kind of hurting. So I did that and I was literally sitting there at the end of it. I was like, man, I should have, I should have just, I should have just done this in school. <laughs> and it's like, it, so I'll, there's, there's two perspectives to it. To, to answer your question, I always do think about it. It, it. it has always played on my mind. But the reason I am actually happy that I didn't is because it actually allows me to think outside of the box. Mm-hmm. So with what I'm doing with Co. Because I don't think like exactly like how a lot of therapists think and how a lot of chiros and PTs approach things, that little bit of difference is what allows me to help innovate and and do things different. And I think sometimes when, you know, like it's like the saying that an expert is someone that tells you what you can't do, you know, whereas someone who's a, no, like a novice and we, and we see this at track at practice all the time with the high school team, the newer kid is. You can get them to do anything. And because, because <laughs> no, one's, no one's told them there's limits. And like you see this a lot with hurdlers. Like a new, a new hurdler will come out and they'll just go crazy on the track. Like they don't know that they can fall. They don't know. They haven't been scarred by any of that stuff. No one's told them what can happen or made them overthink things, right? So they just go. They just do it. They don't care. Mm-hmm. And that's and, and I think sometimes you 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 need that where you're approaching things a little different because when I first was had the idea for Cohen, I would talk with people about it. All I would get is this long list of all the reasons why it won't work. That's all anyone would say. Oh, well, Ian, it won't work because of this. It won't work because of that. It won't work because of this. And not being a PT, not going to school for, for that stuff has um, helped me to have that outside-of-the-box approach. But I, re- I have enough of a passion for it that I could definitely go to school for it. Mm-hmm. Well, and with your wife in it, I'm sure that gives you a good perspective on how to make – Co work for both the athletes and for the people in PT fields. You know, that's where the best way I can describe this is like I, I know I was put on the planet to do this, and like that's why I I, the, I have so much passion for it. There's just so many small things that have come together with it from 
when I was like when I was a child. So first of all, my mom's in my mom works in healthcare herself. She was a nurse for so many years. So just being at the dinner table, that's just the type of stuff I heard. I heard things about healthcare and the issues with healthcare and that type of stuff. But the other thing is, is because I'm Canadian, Canadian healthcare and U.S. healthcare are very different. Something I'm learning now. Yes. <laughs> They, they are very, they're two very different things and there's strong pros and cons to both sides. So because I have that perspective, when I talk about healthcare to Americans or Canadians, I understand that, that pro and con to both sides of things. So again, that gives me a unique insight. Then the other thing is I had a lot of injuries as a kid. I, I had a spiral fracture on my tibia when I was 11 and I had to have two surgeries on it. Um, I had... I, I had this really wild case of mono, which was like one of the worst cases a lot of these doctors had seen. And um, I had to have surgery on that. I had surgery for mono, which is crazy. Um, so I had all these things, all these injuries, all these weird things that happened. I kept asking, like, you know, why is this stuff happening to me? Why does it keep happening to me? But what it did was it allowed me to meet a lot of different PTs, chiros, massage therapists, and uh, sports med doctors throughout my life that – and I would always ask them questions. I was so curious about it. They taught me a lot of things. And I just always took note of it. And anything they gave me, I kept it. Any documents, any exercises, rehab, rehab regime, I have all of it for my whole life. I kept all of them. And it just kept building up. So this information database kept building. And then where it got special, where I knew I was onto something, when I got to Iowa State, I was hurt. And pretty much everyone on the team was hurt. And Everyone would come to me for like they would see me doing different things. They'd come to me for their their injury problems. Like they didn't know, like they they felt like the athletic trainers at the school weren't helping them. So they'd be like, "Hey, Ian, I know what do you think I should do? Like, should I try this? Should I do this?" And I realized just the differences with the American healthcare system. And I was like, "Man, there needs to be a database where athletes can just you know ask a question." And they get connected with people who have these answers because a lot of us were hopping on Google. And the worst thing about, you know, using Google for healthcare is by the time you're done, you think you're going to die. Like you, you're like, <laughs> oh, this, yeah, it's cancer. Yeah. yeah you're yep. not sure that like your rolled ankle is like severe cancer that is going to require amputation. And like, you're like panicking. It, it, it's crazy. Like, I the, the, the amount of stories and situations I've seen people get themselves into from like Google research uh, uh, was just like insane. So I, I, this is in 2008. I, I first had this thought. I was like, ah, you know what? It'd be really cool if that was the case, but I figured, you know, somebody else is going to do it. You know, someone else is, someone else will figure it out and they'll do it. And the years went by and no one did it. And where the other unique insight came in was the reason a lot of people told me it wouldn't work is because they're like, Ian, it's healthcare. No one is going to make their health information public like that. And I was like, no, you're wrong. And, the reason that things changed was because Facebook. Facebook changed everything about what we consider to be private and not private. Mm-hmm. Before Facebook, people's relationships were private. Everything in people's lives, it was private. Like you didn't really know anything about other people or what was going on. But what it did was it opened us up to just telling people about everything. We show people everything. Every intimate moment of our life, we're talking about it, showing people about it. Our vacations are all on Facebook and all that stuff. So people got used to it. So I knew that the younger generation, that's how they've grown up. They've grown up in that Facebook world, unlike my parents who are still very like, they almost seem secretive now because they're not, they don't put anything on on social media. So it was all these insights, all these experiences in my life that all kind of came together. Then I married my wife and you know, she's she's a therapist. So 
I, whenever I have ideas or anything, I always bounce it off of her. And I know I literally watch her use the product actually. So when she's not wanting to do something or she's confused about something or I, I know, so I have that insight right away and I'm like, okay, I get it. We need to make a change. We need to do something. This needs to change. We got to do this. And it, it just helps me so much more in what I'm doing, but it all just comes from this natural life experiences and things I've just been through all kind of leading up to this moment, which is, which is really cool. That's awesome. So the app's name is Co C or sorry K H O. You're literally looking at it right now. <laughs> um, and so, you, as you say, you can ask questions, uh, and and you can have a variety of different practitioners answer those questions. Yes. Uh, and then you can also get connected with you know if you were traveling as an athlete or or just a person you know an athletic person traveling you know maybe you're on a a trip you know you're out on a cycling trip or you know a running tour or something and you want you know you have a question you can ask that question but then you also maybe get connected you know with a really top chiro physio athletic therapist in that area yeah and 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 the the important thing about this is just remembering and i think a lot of people forget this with doctors and healthcare people in the same way how there can be a very good runner or a very good cyclist and a bad cyclist (laughs) There can be good doctors and there can be bad doctors. Uh, like, yes. <laughs> a lot of people don't think like that, though. They think if you get that tighter title doctor or you're, you know, you graduate PT school or, or whatever, that means that you know everything and you are just made to treat athletes. And I have to explain this to athletes over and over again. Every single PT, chiropractor, massage therapist, sports med doctor, they're they're not all necessarily good at treating athletes like they or, might or say, even every type of athlete, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Or every yeah, that that is another good point. And to kind of feed on that on, on what you just said, Peter, that's something we eventually are going to do is allow therapists to develop more specialties for sports. So for my wife, for example, because of me, she's had a very strong track and field focus. So what that's done is she's very good with legs. Like lower from the hips down, she's excellent. She is. If you have a shoulder problem, my wife is not the person to go to. I would never recommend someone with a shoulder go see my wife because she hasn't. She's dealt, not a swim or pitcher sort of person. Right? No, she hasn't. Yeah, she hasn't dealt with a lot of those sports. She's focused more on the track and field side. So if you have a you know muscle injury or you like you know a hamstring injury or a shin splints or those type of things, you know she's great. And I, I think a lot of people think they have to be everything for everyone. But I want a lot of a lot of the you know, therapists and healthcare providers should start thinking a little bit more specific and be like, hey, you know what? There's nothing wrong with being the guy that just deals with cyclists because all the cyclists will go to you if they know that you are really good at helping cyclists for whatever reason. So we're trying to make that easier. And like you said, you know, if you're traveling and you need to find a a, a doctor that other athletes consider to be good, because that's a key. If a normal person who never gets treatment goes and sees a massage therapist, they're probably just going to be so happy to have someone touch them. It's going to feel amazing. I've had, you know, hundreds of hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of treatments throughout my life. So my standard of what a good massage therapist is, is going to be higher than just a normal person. So other athletes will take my recommendation a lot more seriously than, you know, just a, a, a Joe Schmo walking down the street. But overall, we're creating an injury database, a place where you can go, you can get information on any injury if you have a a, you need something that's specific for you you can ask a question but you can also just go on the app and search um you know calves and see what what type of information and responses people have gotten for different calf injuries and then another part that's really important is that 
it's a community that where athletes can also provide their feedback and insight. And I think it's really important that athletes do that because it's one thing when you have you know the human body really well. You went to school, you studied it, and you know how to treat it. That's one aspect. But it's another thing when you know what it feels like to get hurt and actually have to work your way back through that injury. Like, mm-hmm. I've never had an ACL tear, right? But if someone has an ACL tear, they might not know anything about rehab, but they might understand, okay, this is what you're going through. This is what's going to feel like. You're going to want to rush this process. You're going to get really restless around two months into this process and you want to rush back. Don't do it. Take your time. Make sure you go through the steps in the process properly. Like having somebody who's been through it and can give you that little bit extra of insight about what you're going to go through mentally and physically, I think is a huge part of, of getting through injuries and getting through this process. Great. Now, is it is it like global or just for the States or what is sort of the coverage for this? <laughs> so this is where it's, it's kind of difficult because – in the ideally how we wanted to start it it was just to start by being like you know what we're gonna start really a really specific location and go like that but what happened was before i ever launched this product i actually started by just creating a uh, instagram account so our, our instagram is uh just co underscore labs and i just started posting things that i did to stay healthy and i started getting a lot of followers and what happened was people started dming me and asking me questions and I was telling people like, hey, I'm not a doctor. Like, I don't, <laughs> like, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not, I don't know why you think I, I'm, I'm going to answer all these questions. But that, so that, that was my mindset at first. But then what, what really set a light bulb off was someone sent me, a, and it was, a, it was a guy from India. He sent me a question, but with the question, he sent me an x-ray. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's it. that was my exact reaction. I showed my wife. I was like. Yo, this guy just sent me an X-ray. Like he, like, this is crazy. Even my wife was like, "Wow, yeah, that's pretty crazy." So I was like, "Wow, like people really, like they really do need help. Like they really are looking for help." So that's when I was like, "Okay, you know what? Maybe I really have to get serious about making this app because this is this is legit." So what happened though was I built up this twenty thousand follower Instagram account of people just all over the world. So then when it was time to launch it. I was like, well, do I just tell all these people that like they aren't allowed on? So what we're doing now is athletes can come from anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. The therapist focus though is is North America, and the reason I went North America is because I'm I'm from Canada and I, I have so much connections there. It's hard to kind of separate from that. But um, so we have therapists in Canada, we have therapists in in the U- United States, but the athletes and the questions are are coming from all over the world. Oh, that's awesome. And great for us because we jump between Canada and the U.S. True. And I'd it's say true. most of our listeners, it's like half Canadian, half American. Now, is there a fee for athletes or for the practitioners on it? It's 100% free. So oh. this, so the two things that we're going to do, the, the first is um, therapists will eventually be able to pay to get a service that allows them, that allows athletes to book with them right through the app. So a therapist will just uh, so an athlete when they ask a question, they might start building a relationship with that athlete, and they might say, "Hey, you know, what? I want to come see you. I want to come to your office and and you know actually you know get some treatment from you." They can just book it right there. So a therapist will be able to pay for that extension. Um, we're still working on that. And then another part is um, allowing 
companies that make products that can help athletes, allowing them to to put advertising in because there's tons of times when you know a lot of the answers are like, hey, you need to get this foam roller, and you know these are the type of foam rolling. Um, this is how you need to foam roll your quad or whatever the case is. So someone that makes a foam roller can just say, hey, we're um, we're advertising. Uh, you know, this foam roller to every person that puts, you know, that every time foam roller comes up or whatever the case, kind of similar to how Google ads works. Mm-hmm. We're going to build, build a system like that based off of um, certain keywords that people put in. That's awesome. I like that. Yeah, I think that's amazing. So I think that's a, a good place. I mean, you've so a ton of content there, I think, for people. Like I say, a lot of our listeners are, are pretty curious about running generally. So we're trying to do a bit more running. But I think also, like I say, the track seems to be coming up more and more and sprinting and, and this sort of stuff just because it's being included more in, you know, even weight training and stuff for a variety of sports. So I think we covered some really good basics there and some warm ups and some injury sort of protocol and then the app i think a lot of people are going to be really amped i was going to say i think pretty much everyone we know could be yeah yeah no that's awesome so thank you so much you mentioned uh co underscore labs on instagram is there any other way people can like is there a website uh it's obviously on the itunes store if you just search co injury i think it comes up but is there any other way people can sort of follow you follow the the app yeah so uh, a great way to follow is definitely on instagram we're also on twitter snapchat uh it's the same uh kho underscore labs and uh you can follow me if you want to you know connect with me personally uh my name on both twitter and instagram is ian warner 310 um so you can you know follow me uh that way our our website is kholabs.com and for those of you who are on android and are, are wondering about the app we are working on the android working our butts off to get that done that should be done the end of this month so if you want to stay posted on that Follow us or follow me on, on any mediums, and we'll we'll definitely uh, uh, keep you updated with that without a problem. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This was this was so good. Peter has sheets and sheets of notes from this. So. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm I'm super happy to help anyone. You know, my my whole mission is I I I think when people get injured, it, it takes them away from doing what they love, and uh, I just want to get people back to doing that. So, if there's any way I can help you guys or anybody else. Uh, please reach out and I'm, I'm more than happy to do anything I can to, to help you get back to doing what you love. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Ian. We'll talk to you again soon, hopefully. Hey guys, before you go, we just wanted to have one quick word from our sponsor, Health IQ. Health IQ is a life insurance company that helps the consummate athlete like you save money on your life insurance. To find out more, you can check out healthiq.com slash CAPOD. That's C-A-P-O-D for all the details and to take a free quiz. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Consummate Athlete Podcast. To check out all of the show notes for this show, go to consummateathlete.com. And to follow along with our various adventures on the social medias, you can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash consummateathlete or follow me, Molly Herford, at Molly J. Herford on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm at Peter Glassford on Twitter and Instagram. And if you could do us a huge favor and rate and review the podcast over on iTunes, that helps us bring on more guests, you know, get more episodes out and do more cool stuff. So we would be forever grateful. And if you're looking for coaching for endurance sport or just for health and wellness, uh, you can check out smartathlete.ca. And for amazing outdoor content, you can check out theoutdooredit.com. Aw, honey. And that's theoutdooredit.com for Molly Herford's writing and all things outdoors. All right. Thank you so much for listening, guys, and we'll see you next time.